Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our reading this morning can be found on page four in the Church Bibles. It's taken from Genesis chapter two, verses one to three. Genesis chapter two from verse one. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Ian, for reading God's word to us. Let me begin just by adding my welcome to that of Rob's, particularly if you're new or you're visiting us for the very first time. It's it's lovely uh, to have you here, and I hope very much that you won't dash off at the end, but you'll take an opportunity just to introduce yourself. Now, um, I was reflecting as I was uh, coming in this morning, and someone said to me as I came to the room, "What what a beautiful morning. And I said that to someone yesterday, and I, I've been, I'm a northern lad, as you know, but I've been in the south for many, many years. And there's certain turns of phrase that uh, I've not heard for many years. And in response to my comment, what a beautiful morning, this person turned around and said to me, aye, Bayek, it's gold though, isn't it? <laughs> I haven't heard the word Bayek for years. It is cold, but it is beautiful. And this last uh, few weeks for me, it's, uh, it's been an opportunity for me to, to look back uh, and to see God's goodness amongst us. We had a, a day of, of Thanksgiving and um, a gift day and, and to just sort of see the, the Lord's goodness amongst us. Uh, when I first arrived, one of the things that I discovered or found is that we were facing quite a large deficit. And I can't remember whether I said it here in the church, but I, said it, I certainly said it at the PCC. I think people were quite surprised that I, my response was, I'm excited by that. And the reason that I was excited by that is because They're the moments when I know as a people and as a church that we have to turn to him. And I think I just want to just underline and underscore because we're really rubbish at this as as middle-class people in a middle-class church. The Lord has been incredibly generous to us that we are in a far better place than we could possibly imagine. Because what happens is when we're in a position where we can't immediately face the, the, the prospect of raising it, we have to depend on the Lord. And we've seen the generosity of God this past year because of the generosity of God's people. And that's a huge thank you. And as we look to this coming year, I've been thinking and I've been praying myself. I think one of the highlights probably of the year as I've looked back is, is that month of prayer. We gathered, didn't we, as a church to pray. We realized that we had some challenges ahead and the Lord has answered our prayers. This is the God who we, we come to, we worship. This is the God who we're going to gather around the table and remember. This is our God. He is generous. He makes the greatest of sacrifices. And I was thinking this week, I had a few days away, and what is my prayer for us as a church? Is that as a church, we would be reminded afresh of the generosity of our God, and in turn, that we would respond with generous hearts. 
we know the, the pattern, as it were. We invite everyone within our church family to prayerfully think about where their giving is, um, to do this as a family, to do this as a, as a couple, to do this as individuals, just to bring those prayers before the Lord and to respond online. It's part of our worship, part of who we are as a church. So if we feel that we are, this is our home church or that we're new to this church, then I invite all of us to participate in that. It goes without saying that it's confidential. No one gets to see our response apart from Ronan, the treasurer. And details, there's plenty of paper, copies you can respond on paper, or of course you can respond online. Well, brothers and sisters, let's be quiet as we come to his word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are a generous and a good God. And we have been reminded of that these last weeks as we have been looking together in Genesis chapter 1. And as we come again this morning, we pray that your word would speak to us. Teach us, we ask, in your precious name. Amen. Now, I think all of us would be familiar with the question, do you live to eat or eat to live? And I would suggest to you that the answer reveals something of our true philosophy of what defines us. You see, if we eat to live, then surely survival is our instinct. If we live to eat, then enjoyment is one of our life goals. Feel free to disagree with me afterwards. But how would you answer this question? And this is the serious question. Do you work to rest or rest to work? Should work define us and be the be-all and end-all of our existence, something core to our identity? Is rest just the thing that we do in order to be able to do more work? Or is work something temporal in order to sort of fund our retirement? Is rest actually the objective? Perhaps it's something different altogether. Now we'll get to think about work in, uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks' time, but this morning we're thinking about the place and importance of rest. Now, some of us walked in this morning, and if we're absolutely honest, not feeling very rested at all. So for some, that, that's literally from a, a lack of sleep. The busyness of September has finally caught up on us. Others, it's that, uh, that two-year-old who we love so very much, but they've been keeping us awake for days. You feel physically exhausted, shattered, and it will all that you can do this morning to stay awake in this talk. For others, it's not so much a lack of sleep, but our inability to relax, to rest, to, to sit still. We never feel rested. We feel continually stressed and stretched. We don't switch off very easily. It feels like there's no off time. Does that sound like anyone here this morning? And then for others, it's not physical rest, it's not really mental rest that we need, but it's, a, it's what we might call a spiritual rest. We've got to that point in life when there is a, there's, a, there's a deeper ache to feel at peace, a longer-term sense of wanting to live in a world that isn't constantly pulling and, and pushing, that isn't constantly letting us down, where the frustrations and the sense of restlessness is finally gone. Whichever of those you resonate with this morning, we're going to get a chance to see the pattern of rest that God has set for us 
In these early verses of Genesis, God sets up patterns for humanity. And these patterns correspond to the way in which God made humanity and so are good and are for the perfection of humanity, of humankind. It's very interesting that these, 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 uh, these patterns, that actually Jesus himself refers to them in the New Testament. And there's four of them. Procreation, marriage between a man and a woman, work, and rest. And in the coming weeks, we're going to explore all of these in more detail. But this morning, we're going to focus on rest. And we're focused on the seventh day of creation, chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. And here's a, here's a very simple outline of where we're going. So we're going to begin by, by looking back and thinking about God's rest here in Genesis. And then secondly, we're going to look at the present day implications for our rest. And lastly, we're going to look forward to a rest that will one day come. So let's begin then by looking back at God's rest. Now, we've already been told at the beginning of Genesis chapter 1 that God created the heavens and the earth. But there's a new phrase added in Genesis chapter 2 verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And it's an addition designed to express to us the entirety of creation has been made and filled out. The work has finally been brought to a conclusion. Look back at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 to 2 and, and see the contrast. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. So we've gone from emptiness to fullness. Creation completed in all its vast array. We've gone from the beginning of creation to the completion of creation. And so in that additional phrase, creation is brought to a finish. It was finished. This distinctive, special, creative work of God was done. Two things, then, I really want us to notice about God's rest. Firstly, God rested because he'd finished the work. Verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Now you'll note, I think this is quite interesting, that compared to all the other days, it's very different. There are no words here from God, no assessment from God, no additional features. It's finished. It's completed. And it's not that God rests because he's got tired. It's not that it's been six long, hard days of hard graft and he needs a rest. It's not that creating took it out of him. It's rather that God rests because of finished satisfaction, not because of physical exhaustion. Now, it ought to encourage us, brothers and sisters, that God brought to completion that which he set out to do in creation. Now, that is very important for our confidence that he has brought to completion what he set out to do in redemption. So, you know, we need, don't we? We need in this sinful world, in this fallen world, to be assured of the certainty and the completion of God's work of grace. And isn't it interesting in the terminology of finished is actually applied to Jesus' work on the cross in the New Testament. Do you remember that? In John chapter 19, verse 13, John records for us the word of the Lord Jesus. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. 
With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And those words are packed with significance, indicating that Christ has brought to completion that which was necessary for the work of salvation. That is, to to buy us back and to open the way for us into fellowship with God. He has brought that work of salvation to a close. It is done. Salvation was completed in all its vast array. Now note also that the same terminology is used in the book of Revelation with regards to the new creation. In Revelation chapter 21 we read, He said to me, it's done, it's finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You see, what God begins, brother and sister, He completes. He brings that work to conclusion. And that ought to bring us confidence that when He promises that He will not leave us, nor forsake us, that he really means what he says. That the good work that he has begun in us will be brought to completion. So here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, his work of creation is done. But that does not mean that he ceases to work. He ceases from the work of creation, but he continues his work of providence, preserving and governing the creation. And you'll notice that there is one thing that's different with day seven. There's no morning and evening. So there is a sense in which the seventh day doesn't end. John Calvin says these words, Inasmuch as God sustains the world by his power, governs it by his providence, cherishes and even propagates all creatures, he is constantly at work. So God's Sabbath rest is not a rest of pure inactivity, is not immobilized in his Sabbath rest. It is a resting from his creative works. So first of all then, part of this first point, I suppose, is that God rested because he'd finished the work. Secondly, God rested and therefore set apart the seventh day. Verse 3, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from the work of creating that he had done. Now this is unique language. You know, God has blessed before, but he's not blessed a day It's a day that's made holy. It's a day that's set apart to him. So not only does he complete the work to his own satisfaction, but he sets apart this day, the seventh day, for his creation to worship and honor him for what he has done. It's a day for creation to appreciate and celebrate the creator. Now in the creation account, man has has just been made. And so man's first day on earth is to be given over to appreciate the creator God. It is a celebration of God and his creative work. And just before we see uh, what this implies for us, let's just first notice what it implies about God. Remember, he rests because he was finished, not because he was fatigued. God is never, ever weary. He's got infinite capacity. We can never overburden him, never overwhelm him with our prayers and requests. I mean, do you ever feel like you just can't take anything else? You know, that one more thing that comes your way, that one more thing that goes wrong, one more responsibility, and you're just going to snap. The straw that will break the camel's back. God never gets that way. He's not stressed. 
God is on 24-7, fully on. He's never offline. He can cope with anything, everything that we might throw at him and anything that anyone might throw at him. See, I wake up in the morning to check the news. You know what's happening in Gaza, in Ukraine, to the Armenian refugees? It's comforting to know that God is monitoring this broken world 24-7. Many of us have been filling the Lord's inbox with moans and groans and prayer requests about the Church of England. He's not feeling the pressure of his inbox. It's not stretching him. He is God. His purpose will continue with or without the Church of England. It's so reassuring. It's such a helpful perspective to remind ourselves of. So let's now think about the implications for us today, here in our present. Let's have a look now at our rest. Now on the surface, verse 2 to 3, doesn't look like it has a lot of direct implications for us. You'll notice there that there are no specific instructions or, or commands here. But the, the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus, when Israel get their instruction about the Sabbath day and the command to work six days and not work on the seventh day, they are told there in chapter 20, and it says this, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that are in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. See, the rest for the people of Israel was patterned after the rest of the God of Israel. And so the Bible teaches us that there are important lines connecting God's rest to our rest. And there are two things to say about our rest. First, we see the rhythm of rest we need. You know, if the God who never gets tired with infinite capacity decides to rest, then us, with our very limited capacity, need to do the same, surely. No, we need physical rest. We need sleep, don't we? And one of the things that sleep does, it reminds us how dependent we are on God, how finite we are. God keeps us humble by our lack of ability to keep going. Keeps us humble by showing how unnecessary we are for the world to keep going. I heard it once said that with this great mission that God has given us to complete, to go and to make disciples of, of every nation, and yet God knocks us out for about a third of available time. It's a reminder, you see, that it's God's job to finish the job of salvation more than ours. We're created the way that God has designed us to need rest. And when we get foolish about that and try to break the pattern, we're trying to live actually wiser than God's. God has set up a pattern here of six days of work and one day of rest. I think he knows one or two things, you know? When we think that we can work all the time, day after day, we're trying actually to act more like God than we should. Only God is on 24-7. But to take one day out a week is a massive reminder that we fundamentally depend on God, not ourselves. I love um, Exodus chapter 16 for thinking about this issue. And you remember that, the daily provision of the manna for the people of Israel... 
And you remember that they weren't supposed to keep any over and above just, just the, the day itself. They were to be daily dependent. And some, when they did, do you remember the manor? It was turned rotten and there were maggots that was found in it. The Sabbath day, of course, there was not going to be any, any manor. So on that day, they were told that they were to gather twice as much. And sure enough, on the second day, on the Sabbath, that bread was fine. It would blast. It wouldn't go rotten. And that story is all about teaching God's people to trust in God for his provision. Not on their own wisdom and ingenuity. Trusting God would provide. My sense is that some of us are working and we have no real rest at all. Perhaps we've resisted what we saw as, the, as, as the, the arbitrary rules that used to be the Christian wisdom about what you could and couldn't do on a Sunday and we've flexed our theology but we've ended up with no real rest at all. Now we might say, well, you know, I, I rest at different times. I take a bit here and a, and a bit there but the reality is, is that we're trying to be wiser than God. You know, I know this challenge because Sunday is a working day. Some might say my only working day which is almost true, but not quite. So I take another day off in the week. Now I know for some of us, our particular work won't allow us to do that, to do a six day on, one day off pattern because of our rotors, but within the limitations some of us have, all of us need to fight for proper rest, not partial rest. And we're fools if we think we know better than God's creation design, than God's creation pattern. And I say that to us in love. But I think this is actually more important than ever. In Crazy Busy, Kevin DeYoung writes about the value of the rhythm of rest. And he says, one of our challenges is this never being off, always feeling busy, never feeling rested. And part of that is because we never quite leave work when we're at home. No, we don't. We, we access our work emails, don't we, on our, on our phones. We can check our messages. We can bring our laptop home. Always working. But then we also sort of nab bits of rest at work. We can take 20 minutes out to watch a YouTube clip or, or 15 minutes to catch up on Facebook or Instagram or whatever other social media platform we use. We flick back and forward, blurring the lines of work and rest. But Genesis chapter 2 encourages us to see a clear distinction between work and rest. You know, I feel this, this blurring of the lines. It's the problem with having the, the, the phone always in my pocket. Or for us, others have maybe a phone in our bags. But I've found my boys to be a real great help in this. They insist, for example, that we do not bring mobile phones to the dinner table. They insist that on the day off, my wife certainly insists this as well, that I leave the phone at home. And definitely not accessing work emails during holidays. I confess to you that I really struggle with this. I struggle to see, you know, what, what emails have come in. It's an ongoing battle. But let me put it bluntly. And I am stressing this this morning for our well-being. For my well-being. I want you to ask me, have you taken your day off, Johnny? Yes, be diligent and hardworking in your study and your work, but have a day when you don't study, when you don't work. Have a day when you don't prep. Have a day when you don't look at work emails. 
You see, the question is, do we trust God with our time, trust God with the outcome, or do we work constantly because it's all about my success, my reputation, what I achieve? Sometimes, you know, we just have to put down tools and trust the Lord has got the situation. See, it might be that you are a a more-than-I-need-to-complete person, or you pride yourself on being a a starter-finisher person. It's when we need to remember that it's God's job to finish the job more than ours. And sometimes we need to just leave matters in his hand and rest. And our best is good enough. So this is the rhythm of rest we need. Second, we see the responsibility of rest we have. Now remember here that God created a space, a time to be celebrated and worshipped. And there are, there are different views about the extent to which the Sabbath was fulfilled in Christ, how much transfers from the Old into the New Testament. And, and I've been arguing for, for the case this morning for, for one day of rest in seven based on the creation pattern at the very least. But the New Testament also speaks about the Lord's Day, which was the first day of the week. And as we move from the Old to the New, this switch from the seventh day to the first day naturally reflects a development in our celebration of Him. Celebrating the God who creates, but now also celebrating the God who newly creates. Who brought physical life and now brings resurrection life, eternal life. We've already talked about how we need rest, but as we rest, we also get the space and the opportunity to worship God. And more than just that, it's not just convenient to have a day when God's people can gather to worship. It's our joy, is it not? It's our delight. The Bible tells us that in a broad sense, all of life is worship. Yes, but there's also the particular worship of God as his people gather together to respond to him corporately, to sing to God with gratitude, to hear from God with submission, to pray to God with dependence, to receive bread and wine in joyful remembrance. You know, our gatherings are significant. They are vital. They are, in many ways, the highlight of our week. It's a tangible declaration that God is at the center of our personal life and our community life. It's a time when we gather expectantly that God is in our midst, that God is looking to speak to us through worship, through his word, through prayer, through the table. You see, in the hustle and bustle of life, this It's a sacred time. It's a time saturated in prayer. It's a time as people of faith, we gather at the foot of the cross. We meditate on Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We take bread and wine. We find reassurance. We find comfort. We come to Jesus as those who are vulnerable and weary, and he brings healing and renewal and restoration. See, this This is why we come. We come to meet the living Lord Jesus who knows all that we need in him and more. So we've looked back to God's rest. We've looked at our present day implications for our rest. Let's briefly look forward now at our ultimate rest. Now there's a really interesting progression in the way the day of rest is communicated to Israel. So when the Ten Commandments are first given in in Exodus, the Sabbath day of rest was rooted in that creation rest. But when the Ten Commandments are reiterated in Deuteronomy chapter 5, there the reason is not creation, but redemption. 
They were told that they were to remember that they had been slaves in Egypt, the Israelites, and the Lord had brought them out with their mighty hand. Therefore, that is what they are to remember as they gather on the Sabbath day. So rest actually connects not only to creation, but also to rescue, to redemption, to salvation. You see, and the reason for this is because the rest of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is about to be shattered, as we're going to see in coming weeks and months. In Genesis chapter 3, we get the intrusion of sin, which brings in toil and pain and the curse, a place where rest is now temporary and fleeting. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain will describe himself as a restless wanderer. Now, at one level, Israel knew rest when they came into the promised land. But it wasn't the full and final rest. That rest needed the coming of the Lord Jesus. See, it is Christ who arrives and says to me, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's a rest given by Christ. And in one sense, we experience that now we're in relationship with him. There's peace with God. There is rest for our souls. But in another sense, we're also still looking forward to the full and final rest of the new creation, where pain and toil and death will be over. The ultimate rest of living in God's place where God's presence is forever. Where there is rest from heartbreak, rest from funerals and hospital beds and crematoriums, rest from miscarriage. Rest from political corruption, rest from the violence, rest from hate crime, rest from sexual violence, exploitation, and rest from war. There is a rest now for God's people. We're at peace with God for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So don't think Christ's promise of rest is a fake one. Don't sense that because you've come to Christ and yet life still feels weary and heavy laden that Jesus wasn't speaking the truth. It's just that not everything is here yet. The final rest is still future. You know, if we're honest with one another, it's hard not to be tempted to fill that restlessness that we feel with other things. To try and medicate it away. It's what many do, isn't it? When faced with a world which isn't at peace and, and lives that feel anything but restful. It's the temptation to try and dull the effects, whether that's with the obvious, like too much drink, or pornography, or food, or self-harm, or the more subtle, like an all-absorbing hobby, or a disengaging from life altogether, or even just saying, oh, forget it, God. Forget church, even. Brothers, sisters, don't close your eyes to the fractures of this world. Don't pretend we're still in Genesis chapter 1 and not in Genesis chapter 3. Don't try and escape. But allow, allow the restlessness, even as we gather now around the Lord's table, allow the restlessness, allow the, the tough headlines, allow the, the broken situations that you find yourself in to make you look forward. And to long for the day when God finishes all the work of new creating that he's been doing. When we get to rest forever with him.
Well, why don't we take a, a moment to be quiet, prepare our hearts as we gather around the table. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Lord, we come to you this morning. As we gather now, we pray that you would draw near to us, minister your grace to us, we pray in your precious name. Amen.